0: The, the, we're going to start with the Yom Kippur Machzor. Unfortunately, we only get one class on the Yom Kippur Machzor. Maybe next year we'll, we'll flip it around and we'll do one class on the Rosh Hashanah and a couple classes on Yom Kippur, Bezrat Hashem, rather than this way. Because actually, I was thinking, I don't think we've actually ever made it to do the Yom Kippur Machzor. I think every year we kind of spend so much time doing Rosh Hashanah, and then the way that the holidays fall out. We don't really ever get the opportunity to get to the Yom Kippur Machzor. I can't remember ever teaching the Yom Kippur Machzor in our Beit Midrash over 10 years. So um, this might be the first time. We should say Um Very exciting. Uh, so I wanted to, just because of that, because we haven't really even had an opportunity in past shiurim to get the basics and to sort of the outline of the Yom Kippur Machzor, I just wanted to take... A second to lay out just the very basics, okay? Now obviously on, on, on Yom Kippur, Yom Kippur is a unique day Because all other days, every day of the year has a minimum of three prayers of the day Arvit, Shachrit, Mincha on a regular day On a holiday you have also Musaf for a total of four Even on Rosh Hashanah you only have four That's, the, that's usually what we find the maximum, right? We have a, on Rosh Chodesh you have a Musaf On Shabbat you have a Musaf On Yom Tov you have a Musaf that gives you four tefillot. On, Rosh, on, on Yom Kippur you have a unique phenomenon You have five tfilot Because you have tefilot ne'ilah Ne'ilah that comes between mincha and arvit So it's an extra prayer And uh, that's unique to Yom Kippur We don't experience that on any other day Now the format of the Yom Kippur Tfilah, Except for ne'ilah Ne'ilah is a little bit different But for the most part For the most part The format of the Yom Kippur Tfilah is similar to a holiday tefillah, except that obviously it has a Yom Kippur theme. Meaning it's not like Rosh Hashanah, where you have extra number of brachot or anything like that. It basically follows the format of the first three brachot of the Amidah that we're familiar with, and the last three brachot of the Amidah that we're familiar with. And then a middle brachah that talks about Yom Kippur and asks Hashem for forgiveness and so on in Yom Kippur. And of course in the Musaf, it, talks about some, it makes reference to the sacrifices in the Beit HaMikdash that were uh, special for Yom Kippur, just like on Shabbat we do that, just like on Yom Tov we do that, and so on. Um, what uh, at the end of the uh, of the prayer, every prayer of Yom Kippur is a vidui, a long vidui. And as we said last night, I, I, I always forget the English word for vidui. It's confession because it sounds like a Catholic uh, thing. Okay, it's a um, uh, the con- the long confession. The anna we say the the. the uh, listing all of the sins ashamnu bagadnu gadalnu and, so, so and then Al shechatanu this way and that way the long uh, uh, confession that we make okay so these confessions in our tefillah happen at the end right so you have let's say for instance arvit i'm skipping Minchav Erev, uh, Erev Yom kippur start with arvit so you'll have let's say the amidah in the nighttime that you'll have the Shemona you'll have meaning the amidah with, with the Yom Kippur blessing in the middle Instead of, let's say, a Shabbat blessing in the middle Or instead of a Yom Tov blessing in the middle It's the same structure And then after Yehul Ratzonim Refi You have the the Vidu You have the confession that you say Anna Which we're familiar with from the slichot. We're familiar with from, uh, you know It's it's really a part even of um, daily prayer We say the the confession And then there's With this we, That we ask Hashem To give us forgiveness For all the different kinds of sins That we've done on, Under all the different circumstances And it follows the Aleph Bet also Just like If you never notice Follows Aleph Bet This also does Ones starts with Aleph Okay and so on So there's a There's a, a, uh, there's a list of Aleph Bet And then there's a reverse list Of Taf through Aleph That most of the time In our community we skip Because it makes it too long in um, many communities they skip it's an, it's an additional list of uh, of sins that happens for the individual actually technically at the end of their prayer right because when you say you refi Vegoni that means you're concluding your amida and then you and normally you can add personal requests and personal petitions at that time we're doing the ana we're doing the vidui and the confession because. That's part of the theme of Yom Kippur, but we do it sort of at the end of the official Amidah, you could say, right? So if you're looking, if you're using the Red Book, just to give you an idea of what I'm talking about, so you can see what I'm talking about inside. Um, if, you, if you look at a uh, page in the White Book, it, is on pa- it starts on page uh, 118. This and now in the in the in the fir- the first time it appears here, it gives like an explanation for each one of the words. That then it doesn't do that every single time. It only does that, I think, in the Arvit, and then it kind of tells you if you want to see the explanation in Hebrew. What did you mean? I didn't. I didn't find yet. I have to tell you. Um, uh, in English, it is very close. Uh, one twenty-seven. So 118, 127. Um, in, in and that's where the confession starts. But if you notice what's come before that, if you flip a page before, you'll see that it's the regular Amidah. It's the conclusion of it. Sim Shalom. The regular Amidah, you conclude it by saying Yehula Atzon and and then you start saying the uh, confession. Okay, that's the structure of the Amidah for every one of the Tefilot of Yom Kippur, all five of them. Okay, except in Ne'ilah, the Vidui part is a little shorter. It's a little different. In Neila, it's a little shorter, actually. It's a little different. We don't do the whole long which starts in the white Sidur on the bottom of a 121 and in the English Sidur starts on page 130. Okay? So we don't say that in Neila. But basically, the idea that we do Vidui at the conclusion of the Amidah is the same in Old Filot. Oh yeah, we're using uh, in in this, we're using the Ora Shalom Machzor of Yom Kippur and we're using the Orot Machzor for uh, the English, Okay, It's a very good Machzor by the way and I I really, um, I I like this Machzor very much because it has a very nice commentary on the bottom. And uh, it also gives a little bit of a historical background about the different parts of the prayer. It's, it's actually a very, very good machzor for, even just for reference, even for somebody who doesn't need the English. If you're interested in knowing, oh, uh, what's going on at this part of the machzor or who wrote this particular part of the machzor, sometimes if there's a special a prayer that we insert a lot of prayers in Yom Kippur, it gives you a little bit of a historical background. It's actually very, very helpful notes. Yes. Yeah, I mean only for the people do it for the, for Ashamnu Bagadnu Ghazalno people do it and people generally also do it for each one of the Al Khitsha Khatanu li Fanakha bi'ones Al Khitsha Khatanu li you see people do that also one time for each thing people usually do it meaning for each one each line Al Khitsha li Fanakha they they do it one time every time
1: you recite it's not just for the Amir it's
0: for maybe every No, every time they do it yeah every time it's done um, it's not like a halakha to do that. Like if you look in the in the, in the halakha, doesn't say anywhere in in Shulchan Aruch or in, in Rambam or anywhere that you have to do this. But it's just become a tradition that that's how we express that we're contrite and, and taking responsibility for what we've done wrong. If a person didn't do this, they, they, they still what they're still okay. I wrong? do it out of habit. You know, I mean, I think everybody does it, so it feels like you need to do it. It's but mixed things. It's not really, it's not a halakha. That's, that's all I can say. There's no halakhic source. It doesn't exist. It wasn't done in the Beit HaMikdash. It, it's not written anywhere in halakha that one needs to do that. It's a custom that pe- that developed. I assume it's, you know, it's pretty much accepted everywhere. We see it everywhere. So it's a custom that even great, you know, great rabbis and great Chachamim do. So apparently it's, you know, it has a, has a source. But uh, meaning it's an established custom, so I wouldn't not do it. But it doesn't have; it's not a halachic requirement. So if a person didn't do that, it wouldn't say, "Oh, you have to go back and say the Ashamnu because you didn't do this on your chest." All right? The main point is, I think the most important thing is to understand what you're saying. Um, and if you don't, if you feel that you're not going to understand it, uh, to to review it beforehand so you have an idea of what you're saying and will able able to think about it because the concept is that as we're saying this bidui, we should be thinking about how it applies to us. And even if it's something that you personally feel that you didn't do, think about how it applies to your circle of influence, your community, your family, how you could possibly be in uh, one way or another. Since we're all responsible for one another, ultimately, so we're all responsible even for, uh, even for the uh, mistakes of others that we had the opportunity to help prevent, be instrumental in preventing. You know, even if it's through helping somebody, correcting somebody, assisting somebody in whatever way, setting a better example. Um, if you talk during if you talk during the tefillah, let's say, so then you're kind of like encouraging other people also to do that, you know. So it's it's that's another level of responsibility. If you tolerate people talking during the tefillah and you don't, you know, try to encourage them to be quiet, or if you hear people saying lashon hara and you just say you just sit there and smile, that's also a type of being complicit. You know, if you see people doing things that they shouldn't And you don't do something if you can To try to make it better So that's also an aspect of the responsibility we have for one another But I don't want to dwell on that too much Because I want to get to this idea So we have We understand that there are five tefilot Every tfilah has the same basic structure It's an amida followed by a vidui for the individual Now what makes Yom Kippur How is it different? In one very uh, uh, pronounced way Which doesn't exist for us Sfaradim on any other holiday Ashkenazim have this in Rosh Hashanah as well We never have this Except for Yom Kippur Which is the Chazara The repetition of the Chazan Is a totally different text Than what the individual says Okay Now that can be sometimes confusing But what we're not I shouldn't say totally different Maybe that's overstating the case is different in significant ways From what the individual says Now the main difference is Aside from the introductions To the repetition of the Amidah Okay There are Two major things I would say I would identify That, differ, that differentiate And this is really only during the daytime Because there's only a repetition of the Amidah during the daytime At Arvit. you don't have that But the fourth filot of the day Shacharit, Musaf, Mincha, the Chazan repeats the Amida after, after everyone says it individually, and the Chazan's repetition looks different than what we just said. Okay? For all of them. For all the daytime ones. Now, how does, it doesn't look totally different, meaning everything the individual said, the Chazan also says, but the Chazan says more. Okay? Now, there are two ways in which this, the, the prayer of the Chazan is different one is what's called the Rishuyot. Rishuyot is before we say Kedusha there are these poems that are read as introductions to the Kedusha now the, these poems were written these piyotim they're called Rishuyot literally that means permission right introduction to the Kedusha isn't because the day of Yom Kippur and again we want to focus on machzor so I don't want to go too too into the deeper meaning of Yom Kippur but the day of Yom Kippur the emphasis is on holiness right the emphasis on the holiness of Hashem and transcendence of Hashem, of Hashem And the emphasis is on on us striving for Kiddushah ourselves. That's why we're getting away from all the material things. And we're trying to place the focus on striving for holiness in our own lives, right? And leaving behind the things that hold us back uh, to the physical, to the petty, to the small. Okay, To the fleeting things and temporal things That usually distract us We're trying to let go of that And, 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 and strive for something higher So the emphasis being on Kiddushah so much And this is something not just in the Tefillah But really if you look at how the Torah presents Yom Kippur And we talked about it a little bit last night In the Yishai in the Rebo discussion That the way that, the, that the, uh, the Torah presents Yom Kippur Is also about the Kohen Gadol Going into the Kodesh HaKodeshim You know, the idea of Or saying the name of Hashem That we never say on any other time That is the most direct way of referring to Hashem That can ever be used Okay, that's all accentuating Emphasizing the idea of transcendence and Kiddushah So these Rishuyot, these introductions Technically they're not supposed to be said by the Chazan There's always somebody called the Somech Somech literally means the person who gives support right? Like we say Somech Hashem Lechol fulim." Hashem supports all those who fall The, The Chazan didn't fall, hopefully but the um, hopefully, but uh, but the, the the somek means the supporter. He's the supporting. He's a supporting actor. Okay, because you're not supposed to actually say anything interrupting this repetition of the Amidah. When the Chazan is re- repeating the Amidah, he's saying Amidah. He's not supposed to say anything else. You can't just start breaking out in some other song, right? So anything that's not really considered part of the repetition, he's not supposed to say.
1: I mean, this
0: Rosh also with the PUT before the shofar. You have team, but there you're not in the middle of a repetition, so technically anybody can anybody can sing. Okay. In the in the Rishuyot, so I'll tell you where, where you could see them. Now here this is the, they start on in the English, in the Hebrew, on page four hundred and seventy. And in the English, I'm just giving you the Shacharit one. We don't have to look at every single one of them. Uh, in in the Shacharit of uh, in the in the English it is on page. Um, I'm in the middle of it here. Where does it start? It starts on page 464. Okay? Uvchin Naktishach Melech is how he signifies that he's, that he's doing it. Oh, I actually gave you the wrong page. It's not 470, it's a little bit further than that. It's 474. Okay? In the Hebrew. And. 464, oh, we're at about 10 pages almost every time, about 10, 9 or 10 pages apart each time, okay? 474 in the Hebrew, 464 in the English one, where it says Uvchen, and it says the following Piyutim are said by the Chazan's assistant, the Somech, not the Chazan. What does piyotim, mean again? piyotim means poems, basically. They're, it's used only for religious poems, mm-hmm. but uh, a Paitan is somebody who composes them, or sings them. Now, Uvchen nagdishach melech, we are going to sanctify you, the king. And then we have this These are poems that generally The theme of them is the Malachim And how they sanctify Hashem's name And how we the Jewish people Are following the example of the Malachim And in, in sanctifying Hashem's name And they go on very long And a lot of it is very complex poetry A lot of times it rhymes A lot of times it's tongue twisters in there And there are a few of them Before each Kiddushah Okay Now we, I wish we had the time to go through them because I'm one of those people that I actually like them. A lot of people don't like them. A lot of people are like, "Oh, we should take this out." There's even been discussion here in our community among the rabbis. Oh, we should skip it, or we're running. If we're running late, we should skip them, or maybe we should just skip them every time because nobody because just it just extends the prayer. I actually love them, um, but uh, and so most of them are written by Rabbi Yehuda Levi actually, who is like one of the greatest poets of our entire history. Um, And they're very deep and they're really beautiful. I personally really, really like them. Um, I know that I'm probably in a minority on that. I mean, at least I know from discussing with people here, a lot of of people feel that, you know, we don't really understand that we say it fast and people don't understand that and it just seems like it takes up more time. But to me, I, I really appreciate it first of all And second of all I think it adds to the majesty of the day It adds to the feeling that You can't just go and say Kedushah on this day Because like, what is Kedushah? Kedushah is declaring the sanctity and the transcendence The holiness and transcendence of Hashem And you say Kedushah every day How can you just say a regular Kedushah in Yom Kippur Where it's so much more of an emphasis on this idea We have to build up to it We build up to it with these poems that are emphasizing the Malachim, that are emphasizing the transcendence and glory and greatness of Hashem, and emphasizing how we're imitating the Malachim and saying Kiddushah, which is what we say every day. We always say, if you know the words that you say, nakdishach v'naar yitzach, when we're saying Kiddushah, right? sarfei like the Malachim, we're imitating the Malachim, this is what the Malachim say, kadosh, 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 and we're saying it. So that idea is like expanded into a five-page long um, uh, you know, p- poem by Rabbi Huda Levi, which again, um, I really like them, but I found that even some very big rabbis are like, you know, we really should, we really should skip them or minimize them. Or I love them, huh? There is a tune. There is a tune. Um, and a chazan would know, and and uh, so like usually you want to have a somich that actually knows the tune. And so I've I've always I've always been like either the Somech or the chazan on Yom Kippur for every tefillah for the past twenty something twenty five years. Year? Huh? I okay. So when I get there, if the chazan most years that I was at Shira Achamim in the past, I ended up Where's doing shacharit. Yeah. Huh? Which the main one, the main yeah. one. I used to I used to be I used to do shacharit most years because it's very hard for the chazan. To do all those prayers And especially the earlier the prayer The harder it is Because like, your voice is not warmed up yet And it's difficult And you can't have tea or coffee Or anything like that So it's really tough it's, It is hard So usually I would do that But once in a while uh, I would just be the somech for, for all the tefilot Or maybe I would just do mincha um, and, and in the morning I wouldn't do any tefillot. But from that, from all the experience of all the different positions that I've had to occupy, so I end up learning all the different, uh, all different tunes. So that's the advantage of it. In any case, it, it does have a kind of a tune. It's more like a chant, but it does have a kind of a tune. And you want to have somebody who knows that tune, because it actually, um, if you have someone who doesn't know the tune, then it kind of like also throws off the chazan. Because like, it, it, it's, a, it's a sort of a partnership between two. Um, in, in any case, the point is, these are the introductions. And you can understand why we have this build up. And this At every Kiddushah, including Ne'ilah, you have this. Okay, they're shorter at Ne'ilah, actually. Everything is kind of shorter at Ne'ilah, because you know you're getting to the end and you have to kind of move a little bit faster because you're getting to the end of the day. But you have this idea of the build up and the P-U-T-I-M um, in the Kiddushah. So that's one way in which the repetition is very markedly different. From the individual's Amidah, because obviously you're not going to say that. The other major way that the, that the repetition of the Amidah is different from the individual's Amidah is that, as I mentioned before, individuals do the vidui, ashamnu bagadnu, at the end of their Amidah. Okay, they do it when they're finished with Amidah. They say Yulo Atzon, so they basically said a Yom Tov, quote-unquote, Amidah. And by the way, Yom Kippur is considered a Yom Tov. Right? Because it's a happy day. It's not a sad day. It's a day we're reconciling and reconnecting and renewing our relationship with Hashem. So it's not, a, it's not a sad day. It's a happy day. I remember I was so confused as a kid. I'm like, are we supposed to sit on the floor? I thought it was like Tisha B'Av, you know? No, it's, it's a happy day, Yom Kippur. So Yom kippur is a happy day. It's a Yom Tov. So you basically say a Yom Tov Amidah but with the Yom Kippur motif. And then you say Yulu Atzon, at the end and then you say the Vidui. The Chazan does, says the Vidui as part of the repetition. Now normally, whatever we say After Yehul The Chazan never says Like, what do we say? Elokai, Netolashonimira Vesifatatavidaber mirmav Etc, etc The Chazan never says that stuff out loud That's just a personal part At the end of the Amidah Here, the Chazan makes it The center of the Amidah So you could see In the Hebrew again um, I mean, the introduction To the Vidui of the Chazan Is even longer than anything That we say um, it starts on 485 in the Hebrew and goes all the way in the morning. It's very, very long because there's also the Vidui Gadol that many people say. Um, that's something that I actually tried to take, take out and didn't want to do. Um, that's because, because I, I don't like the Vidui Gadol. I think it's too much. But um, I was overruled on that. So um, I overruled on everything. Um, so that vidui goes until In the Hebrew It goes from 485 uh, Until 506 And in the I'm going to guess It's about 10 pages forward In this one Let's see Yeah it starts on the middle Of the page though um, 45 Yeah I think right Yeah That's the beginning of vidui. We say um, it in Slichot also And then in the in the, uh, in the English, starting on page, bottom of page 483, also oh, now we're catching up on page 483, and it goes all the way to page, oh boy, it's too long, that's what I said. Nobody needs to talk about their sins that much. Okay, until page 531. The reason I don't like it is because it has a lot of extra things in there. It was written much later than... Uh, there is a part of that Biduic introduction that is powerful and moving and amazing. Um, I especially like the introduction to it by Rabbeinu Nisim, where he says, he says a very powerful thing. He says in a, that Hashem, your Bet Din is the opposite of the court of a human court. Because in a human court, if a person admits that they owe money, then they have to give it. If they admit that they're guilty, then they're guilty. If they deny it, then there's nothing we can do. They deny it. There's no witnesses and they go free. But in Hashem's court, it's the opposite. If you deny it, oy vey, you know, it's going to be, it's very bad because you're denying the truth that Hashem knows. But if you admit it, then Hashem forgives you. It's the opposite of a human court. It's very beautiful. Um, that part I love. What I don't love so much, in my personal opinion, I hate to pass subjective my subjective opinion about the machzor, but the very long vidui that says a lot of very specific sins. Some of them are not really even sins. They're more like customs and things like that that are, you know, that uh, that they, you forgot to say baruchu baruch shemo in the, when somebody said avacha. So it's, uh, it's a little excessive. What? It's listed? Yeah. In the vidui gadol it's listed. It's listed. So like, so I don't, it, it gets, I feel like the theme of Yom Kippur is not to go into such tiny nitty gritty sins. It's more about the general categories of things that we've done wrong, that we've tried to improve. Not naming every little thing that a person has done. So it seems like a little bit too much and then the chazan ends up rushing through it because it's so long and it, it, it sort of defeats the purpose. I, it's, it's not my favorite thing and, and, and in other synagogues they don't say it. They don't say it everywhere. Um, or some people say it at night when it's a little bit shorter, the prayer is shorter, uh, and said during the day. In any case, it doesn't matter. The point is that this, the vidui moves into the actual repetition. Now, why is that? Why is it that the vidui, we just have to understand. If the vidui is something that goes at the end of the amidah, why are we moving it into the center of the amidah when the, when the chazan repeats? Chazan normally doesn't repeat whatever we say in the private, only repeats what we say in public. Right? But the thing is, this is the key concept that vidui is a person. We, there's two types of vidui on Yom Kippur. I think that's why I brought the Rambam to mention that. Right? There's two kinds of vidui on Yom Kippur. There's two types of confession. There's two types of teshuvah that's going on on Yom Kippur. One is the individual's teshuvah and the individual's repentance, individual's confession, and thinking about all the ways in which they have fallen short, which I think we talked about last night in the Yishai Rebo song, it really brings out that idea that that's like you, it's infinite. I mean, there's so many areas that we've we've fallen short that it's it can be overwhelming, but that's why it's Aleph through Tav. It means it's like everything, you know. Just like when we praise Hashem, we always start with Aleph and end with Tav, like in Ashrei Vetecha. Start with Aleph, end with Tav, meaning we're, we're giving everything that we can. When it comes to the mistakes, we also realize there's so many. It's like, uh, if you really think about it, that you can find. So that the individual's uh, uh, vidui. But there's also communal vidui. There's also the vidui of the chazan, which is not for himself personally, because when he did his private amida, he did it at the end. But it's actually part of the repetition because it's a communal vidui. He's doing it on behalf of everyone. We have to also have a vidui as a community. And where do we see that? We see that from the Kohen Gadol on Yom Kippur, because the Kohen Gadol on Yom Kippur, he does a vidui, he does a confession... For the entire Jewish people. When he does his uh, service and he, and he, he does the uh, service of the scape what's called the scapegoat in English, the where, seira where he does the the, the various services in the, in, on Yom Kippur, he does a vidui for the entire Jewish people. And this is something that the Chazan stands in place of the Kohen Gadol, so to speak, doing that on Yom Kippur. So he doesn't, it's not that the Chazan is taking an individual thing and putting it in the middle of his Amidah. It's that Yom Kippur is as a day of communal repentance Okay, We as individuals can't change the Amidah The Amidah is something which is communal So whenever we have something personal We don't inject it in the middle of the Amidah Like our own Bacha Even on fast days Where do we mention aneno? The individual mentions Anenu in Shema Koleno. As an additional supplication. They don't have a separate barucha. They don't change the structure of the Amidah for their personal fasting. But when the Chazan repeats, he has a separate baha for the fast day. In other words, we change the structure of the Amidah when there is a communal or national element to it because the, the, because the Amidah, the official text of the Amidah, is is a shared one. It's not an individual one. So when you're doing your individual repentance, you've got to tack that onto the end of the Amidah. But when we're talking about the communal repentance and the communal teshuvah, the communal kapara, so then it goes into the middle of the Amidah of the Chazan who is the communal representative. That's why it's important to choose, hopefully, a Chazan who is a good representative of the community. You don't just want to put some random guy up uh, who, who isn't a good representative. Uh, did you have a, a question or something? I saw your hand went up and down. We have time to speak yeah. about I know, I, I really, it is. Um, he deserved it, he deserved it. <laughs> like random, I'm just random? kidding, yeah. I, I, I used to joke that he, they always pick a very bad goat. Don't worry, no, but I, I, it's, no, it's, it is, it's a little bit gruesome, but at the end of the day, that's part of the idea. In other words, we're allowed to use animals in ways that are for our personal needs. So we're allowed to eat the meat of animals and so on. And we're also allowed to use animals that in ways that support our spiritual needs. And so the idea of the Seir HaMishtaleach is that he's representing the person who's living the life of, of, of sin. Okay? Now, one of the things is that the Seir HaMishtaleach, the sent out goat and the goat that becomes a sacrifice, they are designated by a lottery, by random. Right? They bring two goats and he, he pulls it out and one says, for Hashem, and, and, and the other one goes to Azazel, goes to the, over the cliff. The idea is that your circumstances are at, not in your control. What's in your control, really? What you do with your circumstances. You know, there's a lot of symbolism to it. So the idea of the se'ir mishalech is he goes out and before and like just like a person who's living a life of sin, when they least expect it, all of a sudden they they, they, they fall. All of a sudden they 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 fall apart, and that's the idea of the se'ir mishalech to symbolize that idea. On the other hand, the the, the goat that. Is sacrificed in the in the in the is there are two parts of us really. I don't want to go into this too much because i will never do the Machzor. But yeah, but there are two parts. There's a there there are two aspects of us that can cause us a problem. One is our religious inclination, and one is our irreligious inclination. Meaning, there's part of us that wants to run away from and and, and go towards the instincts and go towards the material things, and that's represented by the Sierra Mishalech. And what happens to him? He gets destroyed when he least expects it. He, he falls off a cliff. You know, that's what happens to the people who, with wild abandon, they just follow their fantasies and they don't think. On the other hand, overly fervent religious feeling can also lead us to trouble. Right? It can lead us to... That's why, in the very beginning of the Torah reading for Yom Kippur, we, we talk about Nadav and Avihu. It says, Aharei mot when, did, when was, was Aaron given the, the rules of Yom Kippur? After the death of Nadav and Avihu Now Nadav and Avihu Wanted to get closer to God But they didn't want to They didn't have the proper Reverence for God They overstepped the boundaries They moved too fast They they went with their Gut feeling And thought that they were Closer to Hashem Than they really were Instead of treading With care and, and, and a sense of reverence Like we say about Moshe Rabbeinu That when Moshe Rabbeinu Had his first prophecy That we read about in the Torah He covered his face And it said Because he covered his face And said he didn't didn't want to look because he had such fear of God. That's why he eventually, his face shone because he achieved the highest level of, of knowledge of God. Eventually, right? So the Chachamim say that. The Rambam loves that particular Agada that, it, that it says that. He says, you see that the person who paces themselves, doesn't rush ahead, actually takes things slowly and is humble. That's the person who's going to achieve greatness. The person who rushes ahead is going to get burnt, literally and figuratively, right? Figuratively always and literally in the case of Nadav and Navihu, they rushed ahead too fast. So that's what those two Seirim are actually representing. They're representing the two aspects of us that are problematic. One leads off a cliff. The other one becomes a korban. What does that mean? That means that the other one can be sublimated. That desire to come close to God can be harnessed, can be used for something good as long as we properly approach it. We have a desire and excitement. People get too religious too fast sometimes. They get ahead of themselves, right? And that's also unhealthy. So the the idea is to, it's just like a person who like thinks that they're Arnold Schwarzenegger or whoever the, I don't know who's the big, uh, you know, uh, muscle man of today, but that was in my day. You know, I, I go back to, you know, there, there are plenty from my day that I remember, but I don't know who it is today. But whoever the big bodybuilder is up today, John Cena maybe? I don't know. Is he still around? I don't know who it is. But ah, uh, yeah, the wrong crowd. I gotta ask the guys. I gotta ask the guys. But the uh, whoever the muscle guy is, you know, they think that that so they try to lift, you know, way more than they're capable of lifting in the gym, and they get hurt, and they they end up in the hospital for a year, you know, because they did that. So the same thing can happen spiritually. You go too far, too fast. And you uh, you cause yourself you cause yourself damage. So the idea you can that fervor that excitement about religion and coming closer to Hashem is a good desire. You just have to approach it properly. That's why that goat that symbolizes that it's for Hashem we make it into a sacrifice for Hashem. Meaning, if you use that energy properly, slowly coming closer to God, then it will work. Right. The other desire that's going to lead you off the cliff is 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 that's where it's going to lead you. It's not good. It's leading you away. Right Now, Yom Kippur is about finding the balance between these different elements in our personality. Of course, the emphasis on Yom Kippur is on the holiness aspect. But from the very focus on the holiness, we also become very aware of our limitations because it's so hard for us, Yom Kippur. We feel it in our bodies, the, the, how difficult it is even for one day to achieve that kind of a focus on God. Imagine Moshe Rabbeinu 40 days and 40 nights doing that okay, on Mahar Sinai. So we, we, to, to imagine what it means to have real holiness, even for one day it's so difficult. So the, the experience of Yom Kippur, as much as it reminds us of what's really important, it also reminds us of how limited we are and how careful we have to be in our process of growth. And that's, that's what those serim are about. But I don't want to go too much. Now, yeah, but I, I hope that gave you something. But I, 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 I just want to mention, yeah, yeah. Sorry, that
1: understanding You're, was really, really nice. But it was, but was wrong. wrong. No,
0: not oh, wrong. Okay. No. Oh, okay. No. I thought you were going to tell me.
1: Is that the common understanding of it? Like most understand. You Do you
0: have what? a? Did you hear something different? No, no, I
1: never
0: heard. I'm just I don't know. I'm wondering I don't know. if there's another understanding. Certain like ideas own. that develop in my, you know, that I've talked about over the years, I forget if they're just ideas that emerged from my own head or I got them from right here. Okay. Been so long, I don't remember. But I'm pretty sure that that idea is not like too far off the meaning that people give to it. That's uh, right. No, I was reading this. Yeah. If you're arrogant, if you study too much Torah, you can be more arrogant, I am holy. You know, something like that. Yeah. This is one of the... You same. overestimate yourself. Overestimate. Yeah. So yeah, that's when sure. you say like, uh, like Nadab and Aviel. Yeah. And the other one. Yeah. So, yeah. But I, I think it's pretty close to the meaning that you can see. I I, I would be open to hearing a different uh, meaning if you saw, but oh, I, 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 wasn't I always thought that that was... You know, that that meaning resonated for me and, and made sense and uh, how it developed over the years in my learning and teaching, I don't exactly know, but it's sort of how I've always presented and thought about it myself. But I'm definitely open to other interpretations, if you see. So if you come across something else, share it because I'm always interested to expand my horizons. Um, so the, the Rambam talks about um, how Yom Kippur is a day he said, ah, here it is. This is what I was looking for. Yom, tshuva Yom Kippur is a day of tshuva for everybody. Repentance, right? It's for both the individual and the community. And therefore, and it's the end of It's the final opportunity to get forgiveness. That's why everybody has to do vidui. They have to confess on Yom Kippur because vidui is part of the mitzvah of repenting. When you repent, you have to express it. You have to articulate that what, what you've done. And... Um, and then he, sa- and he says, where do you do the vidui? He says, Hayechi, the individual, at the end of the prayer. Like we just said, Tzibur That one he does in the middle of the tefillah. So that's what I was saying before. That the Chazan does it in the middle because he is representing the entire community, uh, not just himself as an individual. So that's why it changes. So that's one of the big changes in the prayer of Yom Kippur from other times that you'll notice that there will be, the reason why, if you've ever looked at a, uh, you know, our Machzorim for Rosh Hashanah, they basically look like a Machzor of any holiday. They're not especially big. If you look at an Ashkenazi Rosh Hashanah uh, Machzor, their, their Machzor is like twice as big. It's like closer to a Yom Kippur Machzor because their repetition of the Amidah, of the Chazan and Rosh Hashanah is also, has all kinds of additional things in it. Um, which ours doesn't. We just repeat the Amidah, more or less. But, the, uh, but on Yom Kippur, we actually do have a different Amidah. Because the Vidui comes into the Amidah. Now what else is different about the Tfilot of Yom Kippur? This is really the last major difference from any other day of the year. Which is that there are Selichot after every prayer. There's Selichot after Arvit. Selichot after Shacharit. Selichot after Musaf. Selichot after Mincha. Slichot shorter version after Neilah, like I mentioned, everything's a little bit shorter in Neilah, right? Slichot after Neilah. Now, so we've been saying slichot already for almost forty days. At that point, I counted, and really, it's actually thirty days that you say slichot if you really look at the date, like the Shabbatot, and the, you know, and, and you count that Rosh Hashanah. We don't say it, so it comes out to a total of really thirty days, including Yom Kippur. But we, but we say it for a period of forty days, meaning from the beginning of Elul to the tenth day of. Uh, of Tishrei Comes out to be A total of 40 days So over that period of time We've been saying Slikot. And essentially If you've attended Slikot A few times Or, or every day Or you know, however often you've been able to During this time So a lot of the Slikot That you're going to hear On Yom Kippur Is going to be similar Because the basic structure Of Slikot Is always the same That's one of the beautiful things To me I like this about the, Our Tefillah Our Tefillah is very predictable Okay? There's always something new in every one of the slichot. It's usually the introductory song There's an introductory piyut, an introductory poem Before each one of the slichot. There's one for, for the night time one, one for the morning Shacharit, one for Musaf, one for Mincha and, and that introductory piyut is what gives it its special flavor But essentially it's all the same there, are some, we, there, there is a tradition to say in some prayers more El Melech Al Kiser than in other prayers. So that's why sometimes it's divided up a little bit differently to make more of those. But essentially it's the same structure again and again and again. Okay? And that's the, uh, that's the beauty of it. Now at the night time is different because at the night time you don't have the repetition of the Amidah. So we do the communal vidui together. There's no repetition of Amidah. And there's a bunch of additional songs that we sing only on the night of Yom Kippur and no other time. In, as part of the selichot So that, that makes the nighttime a little bit of a different format. Because some of the stuff that would be in the repetition of the Amidah during the day, when there's no repetition, we have to put it at the end of the, at the, end of the Amidah. In the, in the salichot section, like the vidui, sort of like the way that we do it during the week now, where we do the vidui as part of the salichot, we have to do that also during the, um, uh, you know, we have to fit everything into the format of the, uh, uh, of the, uh, uh, of the, you know, post, post arvit salichot. But that's essentially the difference. I mean, mainly it is, it, it, the idea is there's a prayer and then there's salichot. Each time, a prayer, and then slichot, a prayer, then slichot, a prayer, then slichot, and that's the format that we do. The Ashkenazim have a different thing; they do slichot as part of their repetition of the Amidah during the day, rather than having slichot as after the repetition of the Amidah. So they have like a totally different type of a prayer. That's why you'll find that many Sfaradim, even if they'll pray with an Ashkenazi minyan the rest of the year, it's very hard for them on Rosh Hashanah and especially hard on Yom Kippur. Because it's really a totally different setup of prayer. The way that it's done is really totally different. Um, and not to mention, obviously, the, t- the melodies are different. Obviously, the words of the, the piyutim that we have are not the same piyutim as the Ashkenazim have. So that's already a difference. But there's just the whole structure is different. The way that they set it up. We set it up in this way of prayer, then s'lihot. Prayer, then s'lihot. Prayer, then s'lihot. For each one of the prayers. Is there
1: a significance to that difference?
0: In general, the uh, in general the um, Sephardic rabbis didn't like to add anything to the repetition of the Amidah that wasn't part of its original structure, so they avoided any kind of additions. So they left it for the end. They kept it as a separate unit. The slichot are a separate unit. You know, but the um, there's also a difference in emphasis. I mean, this sli- when when you're in tefillah, when you're in prayer the idea, the, the focus in prayer is an uplifting focus. The focus in prayer is coming closer to Hashem. The focus in prayer is at, even when you're asking for God's forgiveness in prayer, you're asking for God's forgiveness as an example, as a reflection of God's greatness that, he's, that, that He forgives. It's the emphasis on standing before God. The emphasis on selichot is more on distance from Hashem. The emphasis on selichot is like on the Uh, you know, on the gap between us and Hashem. What do you mean? The uh, purpose is for us to
1: get closer. That's the
0: purpose, but the focus in terms of what we talk about is much more in slichot on uh, the distance factor and our yearning to get closer. Whereas the tefillah, you're already standing before God. You're already standing before Hashem. So it's a different emphasis. The emphasis in terms of like what's, in terms of the content of the slichot, is much more revolving around our mistakes and our distance from Hashem and a yearning for closest to Hashem, whereas the Amidah is where a person's already standing before God. So if you look at it in daily prayer, for example, we have Amidah, we have tachanunim, right? We have the tachanunim during the week also. If you go to weekly prayer, you have tachanunim. Everyone loves to skip it. They're always looking for a reason. Oh, there's a sium. Oh, there's my brother had a baby in another town and I'm very happy about it. Let's skip you know, any excuse, skip tachanunim, But they they like to skip it But really the idea is That you have amida where you're standing before Hashem And then you have tachanunim, which is Where you are thinking about Your distance from Hashem, meaning Yes, I'm able to stand before Hashem But I also should realize that I have a lot of work to do So the Slichot being a separate Kind of a uh, uh, When we're asking for Hashem's mercy We're saying, we're, we're not thinking About it as a function of we have this relationship with Hashem and we have this we we are close to God in asking for the for 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 the chesed we're thinking about it as El Melech achamim. Hashem is the one extending to us chesed for the sake of his name we say it again and again in the slichot. Do it for your truth Do it for the sake of your name For the sake of your Bet For the sake of all of the great people of the past Do it for their sake Do it the way that you answered them What does that mean? That means it's not really our zechutz We don't deserve it We're saying Hashem So that your name won't disappear from the earth If the Jewish people, God forbid Would disappear from the earth Your name would disappear from the earth Knowledge of Hashem would disappear from the earth God forbid Right, so therefore we're asking Hashem not because we deserve it, not because we're a people that are dedicated to you. Maybe we've failed in that, but because we want to be. And if we, and if not for us, who will be? So we're saying, do it for your sake. Don't do it for our sake. That's what Tachanunim always is. It's Asel leman, Shemach, Asel leman, Amitach. All those things that we say, and we say it again and again um, for the sake of your name, especially in the Salichot. because the idea of the sake of your name is that even though right now we might not be worthy of Hashem's kindness, the fact that we are the people that represent Hashem and we want to be, we're trying to be worthy of that kindness, we're trying to be worthy of being His ambassadors on earth, please spare us and give us (coughs) blessing and forgiveness for that. Even though we're not there yet. That's what Tachanunim always is. So, and that's what Tzlichot is all about. If you look at the Tzlichot carefully, you'll see that every one of them really emphasizes that point that we're doing it for the sake, even the end of it, Shomer Yisrael, you know, Shomer Yisrael, Shemor Erit Yisrael, save the remnant of Israel, guard the remnant of Israel, HaOmrim Bechol Yom, Shema Yisrael, because they are the ones that say, Shema Yisrael, they are the ones that say, Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokein Hashem Echad, we are the ones who are declaring Hashem's unity to the world, where do we get this idea from? From Moshe Rabbeinu, because Moshe Rabbeinu said, if you destroy the Jewish people over the sin of the golden calf, everyone is going to say, obviously this whole thing was a joke and God is not real, Just like people said, when the Bet HaMikdash was destroyed, what did the non-Jews say? We defeated the God of the Jews. That's why it was a Chilul Hashem, it's a desecration of God's name. That's Because that's what they said. They said the reason why we're able to do this, and Moshe Rabbeinu again had the same argument when Hashem was going to destroy the Jews at Chetam Raglim, with the the sin of the spies. Think about what the nations will say. Oh, it must be that Hashem wasn't able to bring the Jews into Eretz Israel, he was too weak, so he killed all of them. Meaning it's going to be a Khilul Hashem. It's going to be a desecration of Hashem's name if this happens. That is our last resort in talking to Hashem. But it's only if we really mean it. It's only if we really mean it. You know for how many years Christians said the proof that our religion is true and Judaism is false is that the Jews rejected Jesus and then the Bethlehem was destroyed and they were cast out all over the world, and they were exiled, and they were not allowed back into their land for thousands of years, that's a proof because they didn't accept our religion. And that's why, to this day, does the Vatican recognize the state of Israel? No. Why not? Because it's the biggest slap in the face of the, the Christian world um, since, it, since it was established. Because they for all these years were saying the Jews deserve to be second class citizens and suffering and and spread all over the world and being persecuted deserve it because they didn't accept the true religion. So when they actually came back to Israel and established their own state, they said, "Uh, whoops, what are we going to say now? Well, they didn't know what to say. So this is the, uh, the idea of the Chilul Hashem. God's name is desecrated when the Jewish people are Downtrodden when the Jewish people are defeated. It's a, it, because the implication is that Hashem somehow is being defeated. And the implication is that, and, and the result is that we as a people cannot sanctify Hashem's name as effectively because we're not in the position to do so. So we're saying to Hashem, yes, we have failed. Yes, we have uh, fallen short. But in, but in theory, we strive to be the people that sanctify your name. We strive to be the people. So, Leman shemecha, for the sake of that cause... For the sake of that hope Don't allow it to be extinguished Even if right now We haven't lived up to it And that's really If you read the Selichot carefully Next time you go to slichot, You have a couple more days Go to slichot. Take a look and you'll see That's one of the themes That the slichot Emphasize again and again and again For the sake of your name You know uh, uh, and, and for the sake of your You know For the sake of your religion For the sake of your truth And all of this Is, uh, is Or for the sake of um, they, they gave their life To establish a, a movement That proclaims God's existence To the world So for their sake Don't let their work be wasted That we're, you know, we're going to be Even if we don't deserve it Now of course the idea has to be That we believe that what we're saying You're not threatening God Like oh uh, you would better do it Because otherwise you're going to be In a lot of trouble Hashem you know, you know. No it means that we have to really believe, We have to really understand That's our purpose That this is our purpose and we have to really believe it and understand that why has Hashem kept us around for so long? It's for that reason. Not because we're so great all the time. Sometimes we are great. But not all the time. So that's what, that's what the slichot are, are, are emphasizing. But that's the structure. And just want to mention one last... Do you have a question before I go on to the next part? Because I wanted to mention one last part. Yes, go ahead.
1: Um, is there one that's
0: a Yeah. So there's a whole bunch of them. Well, all of these things, they follow the Aleph Bet. So it's Salaman, Amitach, Beritach, Godlach, Datach, Adrach, Biudach, Zichach, all of those things. So Yimenaq just means your power, meaning to, people will say, oh, God is, God is weak. He obviously couldn't bring the Jewish people up, so uh, they, they got destroyed. If you look at the Navi, especially towards the destruction, towards the end of the sec, first of Magdash period, what did the Assyria said directly to Chizkiah Melech? You think that your God is any better than any of the other gods that I defeated? I defeated every... They were the first, like, sort of, like, big international, you know, real regional power, superpower. Assyria. Empire. This Assyrian Empire. And they said, if you read the book of Melachim, you read the book of Ishayahu, what does the king of Assyria say? All the nations and all of their gods I defeated. You think your God is any better than any of those gods? I'm going to defeat them. I'm going to defeat your God too. And Chizkiyahu, in particular took these letters from the Assyrians and he went into the Beit HaMakdash and he laid them out on the floor and he said, it's true that the Assyrian king defeated all of the gods of all the nations. But you know why? Because they're not gods. They're just pieces of wood. They're just pieces of metal. They're nothing. And they're going to think that you are like that. If they, if they beat us, they're going to think you are like that. And that you're nothing. So save us. So they won't say that. And, but he meant it. He wasn't just saying it to bribe God. He's saying this is the greatest tragedy for a person to think that there's an equivalence between the real God and some kind of a nonsense. And that's what happens today, unfortunately, because many times people who are against religion, they don't differentiate. They say all religion is a nonsense. It's all the same nonsense. Superstition and and. and and foolish thinking and and anti science and anti intellectual and, and and uneducated ignorance. That's all it's all the same. Now there is a lot of religion that's like that. There is a lot of superstition out there. There is a lot of magical thinking out there. But Judaism is not guilty of that. But we get lumped in the same group as all those people. Now anybody who went to a Shi'ur Torah or learned Torah knows that it's not like that at all. It's all about thinking and understanding and and, and grappling with ideas and it's very sophisticated, but a person doesn't know the difference between that and some hocus pocus, you know, some evangelical preacher who says, I'm going to make the, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to make, I don't know if anybody saw this video during the time of COVID. He was like, I'm going to smite COVID-19 using my, my heavenly powers. And he's like, I'm like nonsense like that. And people say, well, look, look what religion teaches. It teaches that. I don't even want to get into the Jewish superstitions and, and, and beliefs. I don't, want to, I don't want to get into that right before Yom Kippur. But, um, but I, I'm just saying, you can use your own judgment and you can know the difference between the real thing and somebody who's hocus-pocus and is doing it under the cloak of Judaism or any religion. Okay? Now, in, that's what Chizkiah was saying to God. Saying, don't allow us to be equivalent to that. That would be a terrible tragedy. And that's what's happened to the Jewish people. And that's why it says, when we're following the Torah correctly, what will the nation say? This great nation is a wise and understanding people. But when we violate the Torah, we distort it, we twist it into superstition that's no different than any other one. So then what do people say? It's exactly what we thought. It's all nonsense. It's all, it's all empty. And that's what, that's, so that's the danger, so to speak, the Jewish people on one hand When they're not living by the Torah Hashem wants to punish them So that they correct their ways One of the ways he punishes us is by letting us be defeated One of the ways he punishes us is by letting us be exiled But that's always going to give the impression To whoever's doing the exiling And whoever's doing the defeating That they're defeating Hashem And that they're showing that there really isn't anything to it And that's, that's the terrible tragedy Of tragedies in it And that's what Echa talks about in Tisha B'Av Was the terrible tragedy The Chilul Hashem and uh, that God's name is desecrated by that. And that's what Hazinu, actually, the parashat this week talks about. It says, why doesn't Hashem allow the Jews to be destroyed even when they don't deserve Hashem's help? Because, he doesn't want it, because the, the oppressor, the attacker will say, there is no real one God. It's all false. And Hashem doesn't want human beings to go back to pre-Abrahamic times and lose everything that we've been able to gain from the wisdom of Torah and from the Avraham Yitzchak and from all the efforts that have been made He wants to preserve it He doesn't want human beings to fall back into what we call Tovavo, into the chaos and the, and the emptiness So therefore, He keeps us alive He keeps us here Okay, That's what we're saying to Hashem We're saying to Hashem, we know that we sometimes don't live up to our job As ambassadors of Hashem But so that the whole thing doesn't fall We don't want, we really genuinely don't want that to happen So give us another chance We'll do better, we're committed to the project We'll do better don't let the project fail because the project failing is the biggest disaster. And that's really what that is. Now, the last point I want to say before, we, before I'll take more questions and everything, I just want to get to one last point is that one of the centerpieces of the Musaf is the very long description of Avodat Yom Kipurim of the Kohen Gadol. Okay? Now, we talked about it a little bit last night because we talked about Yishai Rebo's version of Seder Avoda, which is not... True to the overall Details or layout or pattern Of the Avodah Yom Kippur But is a poetic interpretation Of it to make points that are Relevant to Yom Kippur uh, About the internal experience of Yom Kippur But not really to give you a description of the Avodah Yom Kippur So it's really a great thing If you can I can guarantee you that a person who reads, even a, you, there are videos on, on YouTube that you can find. There are, there are descriptions. There are um, all kinds of guides, I'm sure, online nowadays that you can find easily that lay out for you what is the Avodah the Kohen Gadolim yom Kippur. I found a really good one, but the narrative was in Hebrew. I think there might be an English one too that walks you through it so that you understand at least because many people kind of get lost during that time. There's like about half an hour of describing and the only thing they know is like when everyone bows on the floor and says, Shem But the rest of the time, they don't really know what's going on. It's the coins going all over the place. If you familiarize yourself with, those, uh, with the basic process of what the Kohen gadol does, then when you read it, you'll know what's going on. You can appreciate it and, um, and you can think about it some more and connect to it some more. So this was obviously in the times of the Beit HaMikdash the biggest event of the year because it was the cleansing of the Beit HaMikdash from uh, its impurities and also the cleansing of the Jewish people from their impurities through this service. But what makes the cleansing happen is that the Jewish people participate in it and think about it, and reflect on it, and are doing teshuvah, and are, and are seeking to improve themselves. That's how it works. So, this we read it on Yom Kippur to remind us of what they used to do, but we can easily get lost in the endless description, and the confusing, somewhat dis- confusing description of the Kohen Gadol's service, if we don't have a little bit of a uh, cheat sheet of uh, you know, to, to review what exactly that service was. Then you actually will appreciate it more, and you'll You'll get they might actually have some, something in here this this, this machzor usually has great explanations they probably do have some kind of a basic description of that of Yom Kippur so that you can follow it better um, I encourage everyone to do that it's a very short know, homework it will take you, you know it. it will take you a minute or two to, to, to read it and then when you uh, hear the Chazan reading it you'll be able to follow and let me see if they do have it I can't guarantee but I would guess based on my experience with this um, let's see does it have it I see that they give like a sort of very general thing. I don't see that they have an actual description of the So we'll have to. I think it'll be a good idea. I'll try to find something that helps with that uh, in a more concrete way that we can maybe share and people can uh, consult with. I don't see it here actually, but it's great to familiarize with it because if you familiarize yourself with it, you'll be able to follow the service yeah, at that point. Yeah, I'm going to try to. Yeah, I'm going to try sorry. to find it. Now that we have it, now I think that basically concludes. That I had, if we had another hour, there was another thing I would would have loved to do, and that's why hopefully, Bezalel Hashem, next year will spend two sessions on the Yom Kippur Tefillah, and that way we'll be able to get to some of the things that we had to skirt over um, that are really worthwhile. But uh, Bez Hashem, for next year, we have to leave something to do next year. <laughs> Thank you. Just any any questions, comments, points that we missed. Yes, I yes. have a
1: question. I apologize if you addressed this in your other classes before, but. I have to say, whenever I, um, even myself, whenever I'm teaching it in the classroom, that we focus on the phrase HaMelech Kadosh. Mm-hmm. it's a little bit like fake to me. And I wonder if you have an explanation that, not fake, but more like, it doesn't connect, it doesn't resonate. Like, none of us are in, we don't have royalty. For oh, us. I see what you mean. So it just seems so far off that that's like the emphasis on the holiest day of the year, mm. or the holiest. Just day of the same because we year. don't really have that as part of our. Yeah, the
0: metaphor of king, is uh, based on the experience of of human kings of the past, of the and past, and we right. don't have that. Is that it metaphor. Because
1: it's just from the past. That
0: well, that's why we focus on it. I I think. Um, the, the metaphors that are used in any given generation that you're gonna use are going to be metaphors that are based in the experience of people because um, the benefit of a metaphor is that it speaks to the experience of the person. You, know, you wanna teach them something that's past their experience but you use an example from their experience. So the most powerful example is king. So even though we don't have royalty, um, we also what, what we don't have is we don't have an idea of anyone with absolute power because we live in a democracy. Right, the idea of a king is someone whose will is the final say. Right now, there are still in the world leaders like that. Most of them are crazy. Right, I mean, I mean right. Well, he's not around anymore, thankfully. But, um, but let's say, like, I don't know, Kim Jong Un or something like that. I don't know these dictators. They don't, he's the North Korean dictator who's he's totally crazy. Probably Putin also. Um, People who are basically their will is that, you know, that nothing will stop it. They have absolute control. The idea of Melech is absolute control. So so we don't have that experience because fortunately we live in a democracy where everyone who would like to have absolute control is, you know, there are checks and balances that prevent that from happening. But we can see examples from the world of cases where there are dictators that have absolute control. And the main point is that everything in in existence, even the things we think that we control, even the things that we think are controlled by other forces that might be beyond our control, everything is actually under the control of Hashem. Everything is actually ultimately directed by Hashem and His will. But except for that, obviously, Hashem gives you free choice. But everything in the world beyond that, and even within our choice, right? So even with an absolute ruler, Your choice is in your hands, but the consequences of your choice are not. They're in God's hands. Meaning, if you choose right or you choose wrong. You know what I'm saying? So, like, the consequences are still... You can't be like, I did wrong, but I decided that that's not going to affect me. Right? It doesn't work like that. I mean, it would be a lot easier in life if you could do that. But we can't. huh?
1: There's the free will.
0: How to yeah, free will, but still, even with free will, once you right exercise way. the free will, the consequences that you set in motion are really not in your control anymore. They're in God's control. So we turn to Hashem and say, look, you're, we've made such and such mistake. We're trying to do better. We're asking Hashem to blunt the consequences of the bad choices that we've made also. Because a lot of times we end up being punished uh, for our choices, because of the consequences that we set in motion, even after we've already repented for whatever the mistake was that we made. Let's say a person smokes for 35 years, you know, and then they finally decide to quit smoking, but they might already have done damage to their body, you know, or something like that. That's an example, but there are many examples. A person who never studied Torah for their entire life, another 80 years old, they said study Torah. It's not going to be so easy for them to catch up to the person who started studying when they were 10 years old, right? So they ask God to help them to make up for the lost time, you know, as much as possible, to somewhat mitigate the consequence. Okay, thank you so much, everyone, for coming. I hope that this helps everyone to... uh, follow the service, but also to get to drive derive some, some meaning from it and to have something to reflect on. And Bezrat Hashem, of course, it will be in Yerushalayim, Yerakodesh next year, but but other than that, we'll, st- we'll bring these machzorim with us. You know, so, we, so we have them, and we'll hopefully be able to explore a little bit more. We'll get sort of a shorter introduction, and we'll be able to dive into like some of the beautiful poetry of Yom Kippur that I would have loved to dedicate another uh, session to if we had time. So that's, that's what I would love to do next year. Thank you. Okay, thank
1: you so